This is the, the first of our podcasts. I'm Gary Aaron, one of the partners at AssetView, and my background is in designing, building, and operating data centers and data center staffs for large corporations. I'm joined today by Rich Werner, a good friend and colleague for many, many years. Both Rich and I started data centers back in the day of the phone company and AT&T, and we cut our teeth on, on data centers when they were very young. So we're going to talk a little bit about the evolution of data centers and hopefully share some information that we can pass down to the next generation of how we got here and actually some of our views and perspectives. So thank you, Rich, for joining and welcome. Thank you for having me, Gary. So you and I go way back, Rich, and we've seen the evolution of the technology that inhabits data centers and facilities that support the technology. I can remember the days, and I'm sure you can too, where our data centers were server rooms with mainframes that consumed the entire room. And in fact, I recall when I started in data centers, they were programmed by key punch cards. You remember that? Absolutely. Along with that, storage tech, tape facilities, all very old technology that's important to understand where we came from and where we are today. Yeah, and the environments were much, much different. What we've evolved to today, both from an IT and a facility standpoint, provides levels of security and redundancy that, that we didn't have. When we started out, we were putting equipment in a room that could accommodate that equipment from a size standpoint. Didn't necessarily always have power or the cooling, right? That we were building with raised floors, but often those raised floors were not more than six inches. And we had a lot of challenges with cables and things like that. So years and years ago, data centers were found in commercial buildings, in little rooms, in closets. People didn't understand the need for airflow and keeping the equipment cool. We had a lot of failures, an awful lot of failures that over time we understood the changes that needed to be made. So the evolution of a data center, really back then we called them computer rooms because they housed a rack of servers, they housed a rack of security equipment, tape storage units, things like that. The smaller companies suffered quite dearly with the type of, of environments that were provided back then. And over the years, we came to realize that cooling, electricity, efficiency, which we'll talk about a little bit later, became really, really important in the data center industry. So you've got more experience, I think, than anybody I know in the evolution of things like cooling and power in the data center, how we do the distribution. Can you talk a little bit about how we've achieved some efficiencies in those areas to, and, and, and how we, we, we've been able to enhance the facilities themselves and the reliability of those facilities? There's many aspects that come into play, whether it's electricity or cooling or security network, how we learned over time. And usually we learn by our errors. The good part about learning by your errors is you don't repeat them and you make improvements right away to the environments or the security or even the networks. Gary and I were involved with a large banking firm located in Delaware. And back then synchronous data had a, had a, a distance limitation of 25 miles. So. If you were to build two data centers, one redundant to the other, you had to build them fairly close to one another in pretty much the same 
locale, town, city. And that in itself was a little bit dangerous. So as technology improved over time, you can now do, you can now have a data center in one part of the country that's backing up a data center in another part of, a, of the same country, but miles apart. So from a security perspective, very, very good improvements were made. Electrically, as Gary mentioned years ago, we started with data centers. Some didn't have raised floors at all. Some cooling came from above. So you've got to understand for, for folks out there that are not familiar with the old technology, if you're blowing cold air down and heat rises, that's a challenge in itself to keep the equipment cold and cool so it operates efficiently and doesn't fail when needed most. So over time, we developed raised floors. And on top of that, raised floor technology was enhanced via augmented cooling that did in fact come from above, but it was targeted in certain areas. I think one of the big things that we can take away from this podcast is that people in data centers today have got to be on a continuum of learning all the time. Where there's errors made, you don't make the same mistakes. Discipline and processes are extremely important today as they were years ago, but they've improved. And I worked for Gary in a couple of jobs, which was very, very interesting and complimentary as well as learning. You've got to have leadership with data center personnel in particular. We're jumping to employees now where there's involvement. So what I mean by that is for a lot of people out there, they don't understand what the, an IUCRC is. It's industry university cooperative research centers. This is where industry comes together with universities and the older minds or the data center minds that have been in the business for a while are working with students that are just dying to make improvements to efficiency and technology and processes. So one of the big things, the takeaways here is Gary got us involved with industry university cooperative research centers when we worked for a particular company and it proved invaluable to forwarding the industry in terms of electrical and air efficiencies. Online forums like we're doing today, as well as attending conferences that are dedicated to the data center industry. And additionally, joining chapters of data center professionals, such as the seven by 24 organization. I'm mentioning that by name because Gary and I were heavily involved with seven by 24. So the involvement of people has to start from a leadership fostering that mentality to get improvements into our industry. The second most important thing here, and not necessarily in that order is when data centers came to be years ago and we made those improvements. One thing that we learned was that you've got to get involved with not only, as I mentioned, the employee level, but also the people that you're going to have build the data centers, design the data centers, engineer the data centers. You can't have a design or a design build group just arbitrarily say, I can build a data center because it's just a building with electricity and air. It's so much more than that. So I think it's very important for people out there to understand if you're going to augment a data center, build a data center new from the ground up, 
brownfield or greenfield, it's important to be aligned with a, a good engineering build team. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you touched on a point that's really important is the educational aspect. A lot of that didn't exist back in the day, right? And we were learning through trial and error, but the communications that we have amongst the different groups, and you came initially out of the facilities group and I came from IT and we merged. And back in the day, we spoke very different languages. We used different reporting. And that created some real challenges for us in our environment in that when you go to management and the facilities guys are telling one story and the IT guys are telling another story, it really gets everybody confused and it created a lot of frustration and challenge. From an IT perspective, we used to get all the time, we'll just build a data center and we'll put whatever we need to in it. And there was a lot more to it than that. We needed to know what we, what we were going to build for. We needed to know the types of loads because as loads were increasing, when we went to a server environment and, and the rack loads were increasing, we had the need for consistent communications where we were leveraging tools that would enable us to basically come to the same conclusions and align between the IT and facility side. And one of the things I think I'm most proud of, Rich, and I'm sure you would feel the same way as how we were able to bring a lot of that together. I'd like to talk for a minute about some of those tools and how we initially started planning very foundationally with the nameplate data, right? And what that did and how much we power and cool and we mortgaged and, and what the cost is to a corporation when you do that. Well, that's true. Absolutely true. And, and that goes back to the leadership. Gary has a saying, it was called the shadow of the leader. I'll never forget that because it's so true when you really think about it deeply. What I mean by that, and this is not a podcast just to, to put Gary up on a pedestal in any way, but he was the best. And what I mean by that is a leader that fosters the communication across departments, for instance, and this is what made our team particularly successful, was that old facility IT dilemma that occurred for years and years. IT guys would look at facility guys like we're knuckle-dragging apes. And it came to be that before we even built a data center, our team would sit down facilities and IT and openly discuss the challenges that we were going to face together and how we could solve them together. It takes a little swallowing the pride if your opinion is not heard, but somebody else has a better opinion and that's the awareness that you have to come to terms with. Yeah. And, and to. With the tools we have, one of the real benefits that we have that we didn't have is we know the impact of an environment prior to actually putting anything in that environment through virtual modeling, right? And one of the things that I, I feel Rich and his team really drove home was getting real-time data into a tool that would enable us to really be able to plan and drill down on what our capacity needs were. And that was so beneficial. In fact, I think back in Rich, I often tell the story about when we were at a, a very large corporation entertainment business, let's say. We had to build a data center out in the Denver area and we had to run the utility line to the facility. One of the challenges was we were quite away from where the utility line was. So we had to spend a significant amount of money 
to get the utility out to our site. But, and I give Rich all the credit in the world for this, with the predictable data that we have and the information that we were able to provide to the utility was right on, on par. And in fact, we were able to recover the additional money we had to spend for the utility within two to three years. Is that right, Rich? From that? Yes, absolutely. The ROI was right there. Yeah. And, and, and I'll tell you that that was fun in terms of learning. It wasn't so fun when we realized we had to go back to my boss and ask for a few million dollars for something we hadn't accounted on initially. <laughs> but the fact that we could turn that around and, and make that a success truly was a success story for us. Another thing on that project, Rich, was how we did the cooling. I'm thinking outside the box. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So for data center people that are considering augments or new builds in, in their facility, when it comes to cooling, there are many options to consider whether you have overhead cooling, which people still do, under the floor cooling, augmented targeting cooling, or what Gary's referring to, we actually built a fan wall system in this Denver data center that we were both working for. And the raised floor was, believe it or not, folks, 42 inches tall. That seems pretty strange. And on one side of the data center was this fan wall system. A lot of people thought that it would be, if you think about the size of a data center, if you have 5,000 square feet, that pushing that air across the floor from one side to the other with through a 42 inch plenum would not achieve what you're looking for, but through good engineering and design, it worked and it worked fabulously. They were digitally controlled fans. They were variable speed. We included and incorporated all the efficiency known at the time from a technology perspective, even with sensors. One thing I want to segue from what Gary was talking about that particular data center in Denver, that was a move from an old data center. And the old data center had very, very little censoring, had a small raised floor, had no idea how much power was being consumed at that point in time. Talk about technology improvement. The power strips that the technology was plugged into did not have the capability of monitoring the amperage, the voltage, et cetera, like they do today, nor did it report remotely. So at the end of the day, the old data center, when everything was shut down, there was still 80 kilowatts of power being utilized by data center equipment that wasn't working anymore. And just incredible when you think about how much power was being lost by not having the ability to monitor it or censor it properly. That segues into monitoring and censoring as far as an evolution goes, where we never had it before to where it is today, and hopefully will improve even more, where sensors are put out with the technology from a, both a power and a temperature perspective, where I can't say the electricity is on demand so much as the air can be on demand. So when the equipment's not functioning and it's idling, why blow a lot of cold air at? It's just a waste of money. So the introduction of variable speed, digital technology, censoring, 
asset collection. So Gary can talk a little bit about asset collection because at the time, it was very new when Gary first started the business of asset collection. What does that mean? Yeah, that was the core of why we founded AssetView. We were very large consumers, Rich and I and our teams, in DSIM tools, data center and infrastructure management tools, which are very sophisticated tools that do a great job of enabling you to virtually model your environment before you physically put anything in there. It encompasses everything from managing your space, power, uh, cooling, network connectivity, and those type of things. But like many of the other things that we've talked about, there were pieces that were missing and, and continued challenges. In our case, the pieces that were missing was, was the asset component. And almost everybody is challenged with that. Assets move around very quickly. And once an audit is done, they're forgot about and the next day the information becomes stale. So when we did our last uh, data center build, which was in the, the Denver area, we talked about the need to have that information readily available. So that's how AssetView came to be. We actually first wanted to reduce the time it took to audit the facility. Why that was very important to us, I'll tell you, after September 11th, we were commissioned to go out and build new facilities outside of major areas like Manhattan and things like that. But one of the things we were challenged with is we didn't have a good, accurate count of the assets that we had. And I actually had to pull my entire team off of their jobs for a month to collect that information, to go back to senior level management and build our case for actually what we needed to build. So that was a red light that went off. And of course, once we did that, if we don't stay on top of it, it gets stale again. Even with the large companies that we worked for, to automate that was first off a significant challenge and, and, and extremely expensive. So we set out initially to reduce the time for an audit by 90% while we looked to pursue a solution that would give us ultimately real-time data and a lifecycle automated asset management solution. Um, the challenge at the time was we were looking at RFID and passive RFID in particular because we, we didn't want batteries in a data center. We were looking at very large facilities with tens of thousands of devices. And if those batteries started to fail, that would be, be a, a real problem in our environments. We actually partnered with the vendors that we worked with. We met with them consistently. We drove them to achieve the results that we needed in the industry. From an RFID standpoint, we worked with our partners to extend the rebrange of the tags, the accuracy of rebrange. Re and with that, how we read things, whether, and, and everybody has different ideas of how they do asset management. Some just want to know what they have or what's moved. And, and there are varying levels of information. So we built a tool that enabled us to address all that while we were working towards building a, a fully automated asset management, which is what we've done at SFU today. So I appreciate you bringing that up, Rich. And that's been a real compliment to the tools that we have and some of the challenges with those tools. Speaking of that, Rich, I know you've been very involved in the tools managing the facilities and, and actually building tools because you couldn't find the solutions that you were looking for out there. 
Well, that's true. I'll give a, 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 for instance, the last data center company I was involved with, it was a co-location and we needed sensors out into the cold aisle to collect that data from the different racks that were expending or ex- expending more heat than others. But the companies that were out there had sensors that would go in the front of the racks at low, medium, high on the front of the door. And that was good. However, in a co-location, it's pretty difficult to mount equipment on customer-owned equipment. You've got to do it without disturbing the customer equipment in any way, shape, or form. So one of our manufacturers that were out there, they had the censoring capability that went in front of the racks. And what we did is we worked with them and we modified it to put these sensors in the middle at the ceiling height or at the top of the rack height, let me say it that way in the middle of the cold aisle. So rather than mounting equipment on the customer rack or customer equipment, which they didn't want us anywhere near their equipment, we did some augments on our own, but using the technology that was available out there. The company that sold us this equipment saw that we were using it for something different than they had anticipated. And they saw an opportunity to, hey, maybe we can market something like this to co-location companies. So it was a win-win all room. But I think it's very important that you keep in touch. Have manufacturers come into your data center. It's free. They love to come in and look what you're doing and make recommendations. Some may look at it like, oh, it's just a sales pitch. But look, you can learn a lot from these guys that have been in the business and they have technology available that you may see it differently as we did to use within your data center. And I would say embrace the change, right? To drive the vendors and educate them. One of the things that we learned very early on is there's some very smart people out there that are developing tools, but many of them have never worked in the environment and been practical users of it. So if we could share our experiences and ultimately what we want to achieve, those people can work with you to help accomplish that. And we've seen that time and time again in our careers, whether it be with new technology, new tools, standards. We used to go into a data center and there were almost no aisles. Equipment was placed wherever it could be placed. Then as heat became a real challenge and we did get get a little bit more standards and consistency, we went to a hot aisle, cold aisle. However, that wasn't ideal either because the network equipment cooled and vented much different than the (laughs) IT equipment. So there was always a challenge out there that we had to account for. And that's where we spent our time really looking at things outside the box and trying to accomplish the end goal that we were looking to achieve. Let me ask you, Rich, so you've worked in both the corporate environment for a very, very long time, and you've been an outsourced provider working at co-location facilities. What is your experience in terms of the way that things are done in an enterprise where data centers are built and they're not necessarily a money-making factor for the corporation, right? Versus uh, the co-location facilities today and how the perspective is in operating them. Well, that, that's a good question. The people that were in the enterprise data centers were much more disciplined and schooled. And, and that was probably the culture of the enterprise itself. 
and and how they wanted data centers run. And again, it, it came back to leadership. Some enterprises, however, didn't even have data center groups at all. Co-locations came along back in the early 2000s, mainly because of uh, the Metropolitan Access Exchange, Maze, May East, May West, where that fostering of data came in through T1, T3 lines into a digital gigabit switch at certain locations where the May, M-A-E, were located. And that's how co-location really started, where that data was shared across one big switch. Co-location then expanded. Some smart people said, hey, I can build facilities and provide heating and cooling as well as physical secure space and make a good dollar at it, basically renting it out. The downside was that it took enterprise people coming out of the enterprise world to really help the co-location people along to get the process and procedures and the right people in place. You need to come with an initial core of experienced people, have an excellent training program that's kept up to date. That's something that I found in co-locations wasn't there. However, was introduced at a later time by people coming out of the enterprise. Training seems to have been lost at, at a point in time. Some companies, ex the expectation is the guys that are on staff will train the ones coming in. That isn't always the right answer. And as a matter of fact, my, my opinion, it is not the right answer. You need to have a strong training program that is ongoing. And as technology changes, the training needs to change. And that training needs to get out to the people that you expect to manage that data center properly. Yeah, I agree. I, I look at the co-location facilities or, or hyperscale facilities as much more experts in data centers today. When we first got into that business, they were more uh, available for disaster recovery sites and, and what ifs. And those companies were run by business people, but not necessarily people that, that understood data centers. And, and why that was so important, and Rich, I know you'll remember, we, we've, we had outages at facilities like that because the $50 part wasn't maintained. When the economy goes into a decline, a lot of things get put off, and one of the first things is that maintenance. And I think at the time, people really didn't understand the consequences of that. That a minute of downtime can cost a corporation a million dollars or more. And we experienced that firsthand. So, Rich, um, I don't have a lot of questions at this point on the facilities, and we've talked about that quite a bit. But I'd like to just pick your brain on education and educational forums that exist out there. When we went through the pandemic, a lot of things went virtual. But there was still a need to get the staffs trained, right? And we had to define what they were trained in. And, of course, now there are accreditations and certifications for things like that that didn't used to exist. But I believe a lot of those were built on the foundation that were built by those old folks that were the pioneers in the early days. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely true. It's part of your psyche when you get into a data center that there's always something to learn. There's always something that can be improved upon. A properly run data center in a given week can be boring. When things are running 100% and you're performing your maintenance properly, everybody's following the security protocols that are put in. However, 
there's so much today, even today, that can be done from a training perspective just to keep everybody in the loop. I'll give an example. I was involved with the data centers where the equipment was not as familiar, and this is facility equipment now, so it's, it's power and cooling. It was not as familiar to the engineers we had on staff. So that became a problem. What do you usually do? Well, in the, in the days of old, you'd call up the tier one, tier two technical support people, and they'd try to walk you through it over the phone. How has technology improved that? We incorporated camera technology along with audio such that the tier one, tier two support person could be visually seeing what the engineer was trying to do and make suggestions based on what he or she could see what the engineer was trying to do. It made a world of difference to have that simple technology incorporated into your maintenance routines, whether it's generators, whether it's remote power panels, UPSs, uh, AC units, crack units, whatever you're using today. You can incorporate that technology very, very easily. I'll give an example of one thing that happened in one of our data centers that as a process improvement, we had a vendor, a UPS vendor come into a data center and he comes in, sees the security person who gives this vendor a lanyard with a vendor ID hanging off the lanyard around his neck. Well, the person then got on top of the UPS and the ID badge, the vendor badge and the lanyard fell inside the UPS, knocked the whole data center offline. Simple simple things. How do we cure that? Put a piece of Velcro on it or a clip, but something that a simple thing like that, that you have to think about these things. So it starts not only with your staff, but it also starts when the person enters the data center to be schooled in what is expected when that person is going to perform work within your data center. So it's extreme. The littlest things, folks, can really bite you if you're not careful and looking and aware at any given time. You remember that one, Gary? Sure. And in fact, I think that that was for us when we built new data centers. Our requirement was that anybody that had access to the data center would go through that training, um, which uh, was very effective for us. And I think that it started us on a world to truly become professionals. We started operating different. We started to change the mindset of folks. And, and the folks embraced that. They were proud of the fact that they were working in world-class environments and, and part of that team. And I'm proud of the fact that I've been part of, of that over my career and having the opportunity to work with yourself, Rich, and, and people like you, I think, has made me more appreciative of what we've accomplished. And it's, it's certainly, collectively, we made each other better. So no, I agree. That is a hundred percent true. Even the discipline that you develop in your work career will carry through my, re- in my case, my retirement career, because I absolutely follow process and procedures to manage my home, <laughs> but it works and it keeps the home running as efficient as I wanted to, just like the data centers that we used to run. Right. One of the things that I didn't coin this phrase, but I use it quite often is you don't know what you don't know. Rich and I were very, very fortunate over our career to have had the opportunity to build multiple data centers. Um, For different companies too. For different companies. And I would say 
And most people in the industry, if they have a chance to build one or two data centers, that's a great opportunity. But if you've never built one, you don't know what you don't know. And every data center that we've built, I believe, has improved on what we had before. So we got better. And the reason for that was because of the communication, because of the outreach through the groups like the AFCOMs, the seven by 24s and, and other forums like that. And I would encourage people to get involved and look for those people who have the experience there. There are so many wonderful people in this, this data center world that are willing to help share information, share their experiences and talk with you about what they've done. And I would encourage people to take advantage of it. So Rich, I think that covers most of what we wanted to talk about, unless you could think of anything else that you'd like to add. With any job, it's about the journey, not just the job. The journey of going through life in a career, such as a data center, can be extremely rewarding financially, as well as mentally. People that take an active role in the data center environment, if they are willing to listen and learn and get, how do you say, get into the job, but it's, it's more than that. The, those people that are, are willing to take the chance for the company they're working for and don't consider it just a job, but a career and a life, great opportunity are the ones that are highly, highly successful in this data center industry. Data centers are not going away. They're only going to expand. Everything we do today is data-driven. It always has been. It's just never been collected in the manner that is being done today or utilized today in the manner as it is today. Rich, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thanks so much again. I really appreciate it. You look good. Right. Thanks a lot. Take care, guys.